Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild, but do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey Majors, welcome back to the show. This week we're looking into a Greek mythological figure, Medusa. As a child, I was obsessed with Perseus and his quest to kill Medusa within the Clash of the Titans. But just a trigger warning, there are mentions of sexual assault throughout today's episode. Medusa is an enduring figure, arguably one of the most famous individuals within Greek mythology, due to the fact she had snakes for hair and a gaze that could turn men into stone. Ancient sculptors and painters actually used Medusa's image, particularly that of her severed head, the technical term of which is a gorgion. The gorgion is an apotropaic symbol to banish and ward off harmful spirits. It features heavily within Roman houses, usually in a floor mosaic, and also statues of her guarded Greek temples. Traditionally seen as more of a muse than a monster, this violently swings the other way in 1554, when Cellini created his iconic statue depicting Perseus, her slayer, stood on top of her body, proudly displaying her severed head. It stood as a metaphor for the Medici family having complete control over the people of Florence. Interestingly, Perseus and Medusa have the same profile, blurring the lines between heroic and villainous. 
Cellini changed the narrative around Medusa, and a trend formed, highlighting her monstrous disempowerment, and that was until the French Revolution, whereby she became a symbol for liberty designed to threaten established order. She also enjoys notoriety within popular culture today, resurfacing in numerous films and even finding herself at the heart of the iconic Versace logo. From Cardi B's Halloween picture to Rihanna's GQ cover, Medusa continues to command our attention and haunts our imagination. Yet we know very little of her backstory, and there's more to it than meets the eye. Who is she? And what lies beneath the writhing snakes? Medusa, whose name likely comes from the ancient Greek word for guardian, Medeum, wasn't always a snake-headed monster. Her mother and father were the primordial sea deities, Phorces and Setu. Medusa formed a trio of sisters, called the Gorgons. Now, Gorgon comes from the Greek Gorgos, meaning grim, fierce, terrible, you get the idea. Now, this trio lived in the direction of night, or Nyx. Check out my Nyx episode for more information on that. In the West, or to some writers, modern-day Libya. Now, the other two sisters, Steno and Uriel, were monsters at birth. However, Medusa was a beautiful but mortal woman, rendering her vulnerable to death. Her hair was one of her standout features. According to Ovid, it was, quote, most beautiful of all her charms. Now, Medusa served in the temple of Athena, the goddess of wisdom and knowledge. Athena was one of three goddesses who remained a virgin, so Medusa pledged to remain a virgin while she served the goddess. Medusa's looks captivated many men, but she didn't succumb to their attention. After all, she had pledged herself to the goddess. Now one day, Poseidon, god of the sea, catches a glimpse of her, and he's obsessed. He tries to woo Medusa, but she's having none of it, so within Athena's temple, he forces himself on her. And just a side note here, sexual assault happens a lot within Greek mythology, but why would Poseidon do this in Athena's temple with one of her priestesses? Well, Athena and Poseidon, they're actually rivals. They both wanted to be the patron deity of Athens, and it was initially promised to Poseidon, but once Athena was born, Zeus gave the city to her. I wouldn't incorporate them within the same ritual or place them on your altar together. Now back to the story. Now after the act, Medusa prays to Athena for protection, but Athena is outraged, and rather than punishing Poseidon, a god, she targeted Medusa. Feeling like her temple had been defiled and that Medusa violated her oath of virginity, even though Medusa hadn't consented, Athena transformed her hair into a tangle of writhing snakes and her face was made so hideous that it turned men to stone. With no power or control over this ability, Medusa was thrown into a life of solitude, and was exiled to the rocky island of Sarpedon. The men came to Medusa's island to kill her, but she turned them all to stone. That was until Perseus stepped on her shores. This is often where her story begins. On a hopeless quest given to him by King Polydectes, Perseus, a demigod, was to kill Medusa and return with her head. 
not expected to survive, Athena had gifted the hero with a highly polished shield that played a role in Medusa's assassination. Using the reflection of the shield to avoid looking directly at Medusa, he entered her lair. He silently crept around and found her sleeping. Swinging his blade, her head thudded to the floor. Medusa was dead, but her gaze still retained its power. Perseus carefully placed her head inside a bag. Now as she was decapitated, she gave birth to two of her children. They actually flew from her neck, and this was Pegasus and Chrysal. Turns out Poseidon had impregnated her, and she hadn't given birth to them yet. Pegasus is an immortal winged horse, and with the stamp of his hoof, could create streams of water. Chrysal is sometimes depicted as a giant, and his name means he who bears a golden sword. He doesn't really feature within Greek mythology after this, whereas Pegasus on the other hand does. Now, Medusa's sisters give chase to Perseus, but he manages to escape as Hermes has gifted him with winged sandals. Within their lamentation, Athena heard wistful music and so invented the flute to try and recreate it. Now as Perseus is on his way back to Seraphos, a Greek island in the Aegean where his quest began, he flew over Libya. Drops of Medusa's blood begin to fall on the ground, where it transformed into snakes, which is an ancient explanation for why there are so many snakes in Libya. The asp was said to be the first formed, and interestingly, its body contains the most poison than that of any other snake. He also stops off to where Atlas was holding up the world. Now, Perseus asks him for shelter, but Atlas was mistrustful because he had received a prophecy that said someone would come to rob him of his golden apples. So Atlas turns him away. Now, in anger, Perseus grabs Medusa's head out of the bag and shows it to Atlas. He immediately turns to stone and formed a great mountain range, the Atlas Mountains in North Africa. Perseus carries on with his journey, saving a princess from a monster and killing her fiancé, both using Medusa's head. Upon arriving back home, he also turns Polydectes to stone. After this, Perseus gives the head to Athena, who sets it on a shield. Of the blood, she gave to Asclepius, who you might remember from my healing episode. Blood used from the left-hand side of the head was used for poison, while the right-hand side was used to raise the dead. Now at the core of this myth is the theme of powerlessness, and Medusa isn't at the centre of her own story, yet female agency is the main source of power for Perseus, and his limits of being a demigod are extended through the use of Medusa. Now one of the reasons why the myth is such a favourite is that it revolves around the trope of dangerous female seduction. Yet Medusa wasn't a danger, except for those who went out their way to find and kill her, in order to gain status, and it's no coincidence that only men turn to stone. It's certainly ironic how many artists have immortalised Perseus in stone, despite his best attempts to escape that fate. Now Elizabeth Johnston, a professor of English, wrote in her article called The Original Nasty Woman, quote, in Western culture, strong women have historically been imagined as threats, requiring male conquest and control, and Medusa herself has long been the go-to figure for those seeking to demonise female authority. So I want to look at if there are any explanations and interpretations of this problematic myth. Today, 
Medusa has become a symbol for feminine rage that rails against patriarchal systems, and has undergone a reclamation. Feminist writer Emily Irwin Culpepper writes that Medusa, quote, is female fury personified. The Gorgon Medusa image has been rapidly adopted by large numbers of feminists, who recognise her as one face of our own rage. In light of this, sculptor Luciano Gobatti created his own statue as a riposte or a counter to Cellini's statue from 1554. Luciano depicts Medusa defiantly holding the severed head of Perseus. As of last year, this statue was copied and placed outside the New York County Criminal Court. Now, this is relevant because the rapist Harvey Weinstein was sentenced there. Critics, however, have spoken out against the statue. She's committed the ultimate act of patriarchal defiance, yet her body conforms to patriarchal notions about how a woman should look. She's portrayed as young, thin, there's no fat or body hair, and bizarrely her genitals are erased like a Barbie doll. Commenters also suggest it should be Poseidon's head she's holding, not so much the head of Perseus. There's also modern feminist interpretations that take the view that Athena's punishment was actually a gift. Medusa could easily protect herself from all future attacks by turning her potential perpetrators into stone. The male gaze is effectively deflected, and Medusa's pain is weaponized against men for the protection and benefit of herself. Her assailants remain frozen for eternity, and essentially become a monument of their transgression and pain the ultimate punishment. Interestingly, viewing the snakes and the turning to stone gaze as a gift also deconstructs the narrative that women must compete or be jealous of one another. Within recent history, powerful women have been likened to Medusa in order to shame, disempower, and silence. Almost every influential woman, from Hillary Clinton to Madonna to Oprah Winfrey, has been photoshopped with Medusa-esque hair. The suffragettes when fighting for the right to vote were also portrayed as a monstrous Medusa. Any time a woman seeks her own agency, or infringes on what has traditionally been a male domain, in inverted commas, has been made into an inhumane creature. Male anxieties around female empowerment and the threat of emasculation are as prevalent now, if not more, than they were 2,000 years ago. The aim is to still press mute on female authority. The reclamation of Medusa has long been overdue. But the myth is chillingly contemporary as well. A man feels entitled to a woman's body and takes what he wants. The victim is the one who receives the punishment. It's incredibly disheartening and frustrating that as a society, we're still facing the same old problems. But what's some of the historical interpretations? Well, Medusa's first mention comes from the poem Theogony, which was composed around the 8th century BCE by the Greek poet Hesiod, but she's thought to be much, much older than that. Mythologist Joseph Campbell suggests the myth is a reference to the usurpation of a goddess culture by a more masculine solar deity-based one, and the priestesses wearing a terrifying gorgon's mask to warn off the profane morphed into a monster. Medusa stands as a figure of fear in the eyes of patriarchal systems, hence her portrayal as an ugly terrifying monster. She embodied the fear of a return to a more female-focused system of spirituality. 
and the fact that she was decapitated bears mention. In the Mediterranean world, the head was seen as the seat of power, or life force, and even the soul. Plato and Homer, in particular, believed that the head was the most divine part of a person. By severing her head, Perseus truly unleashed her power onto the world, and effectively furthered her reach. There's also other accounts that suggest Medusa was an ancient Libyan snake goddess called Anatha, who, as she travelled to Crete and then into mainland Greece by 4000 BCE, transformed into Athena. In light of this, the story takes on a different layer of meaning, of a goddess trying to kill an aspect of herself or her past. Medusa is Athena's shadow side of her powerful femininity. The Libyan Anatha is similar, if not the same, to the ancient Egyptian goddess of death, Neith, whereby to gaze at her face was to bring about death. It was therefore hidden behind a veil and represented the distance or the barrier between mortals and the divine. At Sais in Egypt, an inscription states that she's the quote, mother of all the gods, whom she bore before childbirth existed. Clearly a powerful maternal goddess, the fact that Medusa is raped within the myth could possibly be a distortion of her sexual power, eroticism, and her dominion over female sexuality. Snakes are linked to healing, but they're also linked to menstruation. In some cultures, a period was described as being bitten by a snake. Further to this, it's an old belief that the hair of a person menstruating would become a snake if it were buried. Medusa's isolation is also interesting. In some cultures, it was custom for those menstruating to isolate themselves as it was believed they had terrifying powers, one of which was the ability to paralyze men if they gazed at their faces. Medusa also has connections to Apollo. They often appear on ancient coins together. She also appears within the Oracle of Delphi, which was Apollo's oracle after he destroyed a giant snake and claimed the site for himself. There's theories that Chrysao, the giant Medusa gave birth to, is actually Apollo, and that she may have been a solar goddess, which he then took over as. There's also an interesting link with horses as well. Figurines of Medusa predating the penning of her myth often feature horses, and sometimes she even has a horse's head, which has been argued to be a reference to Demeter who transformed herself into a horse to unsuccessfully escape her brother's advances. Could Medusa have been a precursor to Demeter? The more recent Perseus myth drops this reference, but keeps the reference of a horse with Pegasus emerging from her neck. Clearly Medusa's mythology lies in prehistory, and is steeped in so much symbolism that we will never fully uncover who Medusa is. Today's story is just one version of a myth, there are many, and each one highlights a different version of her. A monster, a maiden, a villain, a mother. She is one of the few figures within Greek mythology that can hold multiple interpretations and highlight different themes and emotions around them. Her very character demands to be reimagined and consistently updated. And Majors, that's it. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me? 
With your support, I can dedicate more time to the mage as well. You can financially support me through Patreon, where you'll gain access to more content and connect with the mage as well community. The link for this is in the episode description. If you're not keen on pledging money for whatever reason, but you still want to support, you can follow my Instagram, at the mage as well, you could tell your friends and family about the show, you could post about the podcast, and most importantly, you could leave a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is really important, it really helps because it boosts the algorithm over on Apple Podcasts, and it draws in new listeners and helps get the podcast out there. Please help me out. This is an independent podcast. It's just me researching, producing, and editing. Anything you can do will help. If you own a business and would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. The show's email is themajorswell at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. The poem this week is called Medusa by Anne Stanford. Had I but known when I saw the god approaching, his horses pulled him briskly over the water, as on dry land, wreathed in seaweed, dripping, his chariot shone gold in the warm summer. I stood as he walked, the old man up from the shore. He climbed the temple stairs, he praised my grace, I had never seen a god before. He seized and raped me before Athena's altar. It is no great thing to a god, for me, It was anger, no consent on my part, no wooing, all harsh, rough as a field hand. I didn't like it. My hair coiled in fury, my mind held hate alone. I thought of revenge, began to live on it, my hair turned to serpents, my eyes saw the world in stone. Whatever I looked at became wasteland, the olive trees on the hill as I walked down rattled in the wind, then stood, as if a hand had fashioned them of bronze. I saw the town where I was raised become a stone. The boys ran by as on a freeze. The charioteer whipping his horses held his arm mid-air. His horses stopped in stride. My hair started to hiss. I hurried to my door. The servant with his water jar upraised stands there forever. I strode across the floor. My furious glance destroyed all live things there. I was alone. I am alone. My ways divide me from the world, imprison me in a stare. The prisoner of myself, I longed to lose the serpent hair, the baleful eyes, the face twisted by fury that I did not choose. I'd like to wake up in another place, look for myself again, but there recur thoughts of a god and his misdeed always. The iron arm, the fall, the marble floor, the stinking breath, the sweaty weight, the pain, the quickening thrust. And now, the start, the rude circling blood tide, not my own, that squirms and writhes, steals from me, bone by bone, his monster seed growing beneath my heart, prisoned within my prison, left alone, despised, uncalled for, turning my blood to stone. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads.
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.